us a bit of writing reflection time today. And what happened to Pope? Oh, he's coming. Don't worry. So when I was at uni, one of my lecturers used to say, you have to hear something eight times before you actually remember it for your life. So the youth kids who are here today, so that's uh, Matthew, Simon, Isabel and Luke and Finn, heard this sermon last night as their youth talk and you can hear it again. And that's number two of eight. (laughs) You're on the way. That's right, your patience, that's a good one, Robin. <laughs> um, so, when you apply for a job, what's the usual process, in this country at least, of applying for a job? So there'll be some sort of ad, won't there, like this one for a sewage treatment worker? I thought that'd be a fun kind of job. <laughs> don't get paid very much, but you're having to get pretty dirty and smelly. That's, sorry, it's $26 now. Uh, yeah. Uh, And so then you apply for the job by sending in a resume with a cover letter. And so a typical cover letter might be something like, uh, well, what sort of things would you write in a typical cover letter? How good you are. How good you are. You're remembering. (laughs) So the resume tells your experience and the cover letter says that you're good at this, this and this and so you should be hired for the job. Right? Usually a couple, there's a couple of pages of sort of self-important, you know, talking about yourself and how great you are. Next one. So, you know, this is a job I applied for recently where I could say, you know, I'm the chair of this and I'm an academic title holder for this and I've led these teams and I'm an emer- I won some emerging lead award. And you write about all these great things to say, I should get the job because I'm so good at this, this and this. Right? Next slide. Alright, so here's a thought experiment. So, there's Billy Graham on a crusade to India or somewhere. But you have a job advertisement that you need to apply for. God is calling you to apply for the job of being a Christian leader who changes lives and changes the world. And you've got to go submit your application to the Pope. So, on the paper provided, I want you to write your first paragraph explaining why the Pope should hire you for this position. You've got three minutes to, to write why you think you should be the Christian leader who changes lives and changes the world. Because God's calling you to be that. <laughs> I got the kids to um, to share last night what they wrote in their first paragraph if they wanted to, and of course they were mostly humorous. Harry wrote, um, "You better you better give me the job, or else I'll hunt you down. I'll find where you live." <laughs> and uh, there were a number of kids. Boston wrote, "You hire me because I'm the coolest." So there were a bit of humor there with the kids. Anyone want to share their paragraph? If it's serious, even better. Uh, go, Robin. Oh, it's not a paragraph here, but okay. Um, I'm a sinner who's encountered the love of Jesus Christ through his love. I've been washed clean and made totally acceptable to God. I haven't got very good. Yeah, thank you, Tim. Um, I absolutely don't want this job, which likely makes me the ideal. <laughs> <laughs> so you show up every step, we need to be driven and directed by God. Be good. So both of you have given answers that are uh, perhaps much more theologically accurate than the kids' answers last night. Yeah, Luke. Okay. Uh, dear Pope, 
I saw your job application and I believe that I am one of, if not the best, Christian leader who will change the lives of the people in the world. I'm kind and I will give hope to others. Nice. Yeah, go for it, Brad. My weaknesses are strong and extensively varied. This is why you should appoint me, so that the power of Jesus would not be misconstrued of my own power. I like it. <laughs> Very clever. Nice one, Fair gentlemen. Very good. All right, let's go to the next slide. Okay, we'll get, we'll get back to that, by the way. So today we are moving to a new series, looking at the probably one of the most famous, one of the top ten definitely passages in the Bible in terms of fame, 1 Corinthians 13. Um, and we're looking specifically at verse 4 and the first line of verse 4, love is patient and love is kind. So let's move on. So let's turn to the Bible and let's read 1 Corinthians 13. Simon, would you like to read it? Come on up. Yeah, Simon, can I get you to come nice and close to one of the microphones, please? Uh, maybe that microphone just there. Yeah, maybe. Yep, and it'll be on the screen here. Yeah. yeah. That's it, good boy. If I speak in tongues of men or of angels but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but I do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor, and I give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but I do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast. It is not proud, it does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. Love never fails, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be still. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. Now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Thanks, Simon. I reckon, Malcolm, we should read that every week we do the series... And we should actually try and learn that each individually, that passage. Uh, that was the NIV translation, I think. So, in our job advert, God was calling us to be the Christian leader who changes lives and changes the world. And this is a pretty good description of the sort of things humans put in job adverts. We talk about all the great things we can do. You know, we're smart, we're knowledgeable, we can do these amazing things like prophesy and speak in tongues. And then there's these other attributes that are in this passage. Love, hope, faith. Go next slide. You know, to the average person, the things that look amazing, prophecy, tongues, knowledge, those look... Remarkable. Those are the sort of things which will change the world, right? And will have a lasting impact. 
not what the passage says. It says these are temporary. Things that don't look so amazing to most people are things like hope, faith, and love. They just, you know, they're not super special. But these are the things that are lasting and are going to go into eternity. It doesn't look amazing to us, but this is obviously what's amazing to God. Next slide. So I guess as I was thinking about that passage and about my job advertisement, it reminded me of that, that uh, Christian idea of two ways to live. And we talk about that in terms of non-Christians and Christians. But I can think of that more in the way of, of Christians and Christians. I want to think about it in that way. As a Christian, we, we are faced with a choice every day. And we can choose to be seeking the flashy the amazing things that look great to everyone else. Remember um, Ravi Zacharias. He was an amazing teacher. He went around the world and taught amazingly. And, you know, it looked like he was changing the world. Maybe maybe he did a bit, I, I guess. But underlying that, now that some things have come to light about his personal life, you have to wonder, was he about seeking the fame and the fortune more than actually doing the important love behind the scenes? So I'm sure you know his story. One of the most famous Christians of our time, of generations in fact. And then after his death it came to light, he was... um, Going around the world, and every time he would stop around the world, he'd get a massage, and he'd sleep with the massage therapist, usually forcing her or pressuring her into, into sex. I don't know the details very well, but but something big was going on of that direction. And it, it never came to light, and he hid it all, maybe because he was seeking the fame, the fortune, the glory. Um, you know, On paper, he looked like the one who would be changing the world. On the other hand, I did a Google search for uh, Christian soup ladies, soup kitchen ladies, and this picture came up, right? They don't appear to be doing anything too great. They're not changing the world, are they? But they're loving. And maybe this is the sort of life we're meant to be aiming for and choosing. We're not meant to be seeking that sort of life. I guess it reminds me of that famous saying, power corrupts. God wants us to be seeking permanent, eternal things, love, faith and hope. And that's what it looks like. It actually doesn't look like that, maybe. This is Benighton Hall in Adelaide, and this is where we went to graduate. Um, And I remember the day of our declaration ceremony for graduation... I remember talking to some girl and we got onto the idea of life goals and discussing about life goals and about greatness and goodness. And I said, I'd rather be a good man than a great man. And she said, oh, no, no, I'd much rather be great than good. It's much better to be great than good. And I think maybe that's, that's what this passage in Corinthians is talking a little bit about. It's important we seek goodness, not, not greatness. So if we were going to write a cover letter about why God should make, why, why we should be the one who are changing the world, 
Maybe this is what the cover letter should look like, if it were true, of course. So I've just replaced love with I am. Our cover letter should read, Dear Pope, I'm patient, I'm kind, I don't envy, I don't boast, I'm not proud. I don't dishonour others, I'm not self-seeking, I'm not easily angered, I keep no record of wrongs. I don't delight in evil, but rejoice with the truth. I always protect, always trust, always hope, and always persevere. Maybe there's no better cover letter than something like that. That's what we should be seeking. So that leads us to the first two aspects of love in 1 Corinthians 4. Love is patient, love is kind. And that's what we're going to look at now. So the word patient, just a thought, you know, we're looking at individual words, we probably should look at the words. So the word is a, it's a Greek word, makrothume, love is patient. And it's a word that occurs ten times in the New Testament, in Matthew and Luke and Thessalonians, Hebrew, James and 2 Peter and 1 Corinthians. And it doesn't just mean patient in the way we sometimes think about patience. It's almost always used in the sense of bearing the offence that others cause to us or bearing injuries caused by others. Patience through suffering, particularly suffering inflicted by others. That's how the, the phrase or the word is normally used. And so that means, in the next slide, when we think about patience, love is patient. We're not talking about this, sort of patiently waiting in line. That's just good manners. That's not real patience. Yeah. She's sitting. She's died. Although the line is long. But that's not patience in the biblical sense. That's just good manners. Patience is something about bearing and waiting when we're being unjustly treated. And so this is patience. The story of the prodigal son. Takes everything from his father, abandons his family, leaves, and the father patiently waits. Even though he's been wronged by his son, patiently waits for his son to return. And when he comes, he embraces him and forgives him. That's what it means when love is patient not just about uh, getting annoyed at the traffic. <laughs> and love is kind. Well, the Greek word for that is krestuetai. That word occurs once in the New Testament. And just a little bit of a side teaching here. When you have an ancient language, like ancient Greek, it's not spoken today, Koine Greek, um, how do you think scholars determine what words mean? What do you reckon? Context. Context? And then look at where else it occurs and try to understand it. So a word like this, which occurs once in the New Testament, and there's not necessarily going to be that word appearing in a lot of ancient Greek literature, it's very hard to actually know what it means. And so actually any words like this which occur once or twice in the Bible, sometimes people just have to guess what it means and of course you can have a good guess because you can look at what what was it translated into in say Latin in 400 AD so you can look at all the translations through history to help you understand what it might mean but the word is translated for us as kind Um, but it's made up of two root words that are connected with the idea of being useful of serving of service so there's something in this about not just 
you know, kind of the way we think about it, but actually physical actions to be useful to someone. So go to the next slide. So, you know, we have a nice dinner and we think about kindnesses. You know, someone says thank you, or that's very kind of you to say thank you, you know. It's not just saying thanks for things or being nice to someone in, in words. That's, again, good manners. It's not kindness in 1 Corinthians 13. Kindness is coming early and cleaning up and leaf blowing or helping clean up after a dinner you've visited someone, actually helping to clean it all up when you see someone's overwhelmed and overworked. Kindness is active in this 1 Corinthians 13 sense. It's doing something of service for someone to help them out. So that's uh, 1 Corinthians 13, 4a. Love is patient, love is kind. And as I was reading that passage, I I was reminded which uh, passage we all know well, 1 John 4, the words, God is love. So we read 1 Corinthians 13 about what love is, and then we read elsewhere in the Bible, God is love. And so we can think about 1 Corinthians 13 and replace the word love with God. God is patient. God is kind. We can really understand true love and true patience and true kindness by looking then to God. He's the one who shows us what real patience looks like or what real kindness looks like. So in 2 Peter 3 it says, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he's patient with you. Not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. He's patient. So I want to open up a discussion here. What stories of God in the Bible do you think of when you think of God's patience? Stories of God's patience. Anyone can think of any? Neil? Um, I thought he was very patient with the children of Israel in the desert. He I was. put up with them for the 40 years. Yes, so this is the, the Jordan River here. I thought of that one too. And uh, it made me think, you know, 40 years they complained and grumbled about him and he was patient with them and he still let them cross in the Jordan and help them take the promised land. That's patience. I think of him being patient with the disciples when they haven't yet grasped what his mission is. How many times did they tell him to go fight? <laughs> and he was trying to tell them, no, that's not my mission. He was very patient. Yes. When they wanted to choose a king, he was very patient with them and even let them choose their king themselves. So that's why I put one Samuel. I thought of exactly that one as well, you know. When, when the people of Israel wanted a king, they, they had God as their king. They had prophets and they, oh, sorry, um, judges and God as their king. And God didn't want them to have a king. And they decided to throw away God's idea for how they should have a system of government and go with their own one. They wanted a king. God was patient with them. He forgave them and accepted them and even gave them a king. Perfect example of God's patience. I think um, like the time we live now, whereby um, there's so much horror in the world and God is tolerating it patiently so yeah. there's more opportunity for somebody else to be saved. Yeah. Yep. That's, kind of that's, that's this passage here, isn't it? Yeah. I think that's like that's that must be the most incredibly like the most incredible tension because 
like we feel it a little bit, like you know, wanting sorrow to come to an end, but then also thinking about our unsaved loved ones and wanting them to have more time. And so there's yep. this real tension. Yeah, yeah, yep, yep. And like, yeah, so it's a kind of a, it's like a, a painful patience, I guess. That's a very good one. It makes me think of my, every six months I get a new registrar. And, um, and I watch them do consults and I have to sit there and watch them do this really shoddy job of discussions about whatever they're talking about. You know, it's usually serious discussions about how to approach your end of life, what happens when, when you, you know, have a cardiac arrest. And I watch them do these awful discussions. I want to just jump in and rescue the discussion. But I've got to be patient with them and let them learn how to do it. It sort of made me think of that when you, when you mentioned it. It's God being patient with us, letting us learn to come to him. Yeah. I actually read this morning about the burnt offering at the beginning of uh, Leviticus. And the burnt offerings offer up a sweet smelling aroma to God. And it's it, when that happens, God sort of God remembers to be patient with us. And it's, it's sort of we're always an irritant to God because we're so sinful and we're so messed up. So. The burnt offerings actually are sort of to overcome that, and for us, our burnt offering is, is to Christ. Yeah. So he's and and our, our also our deeds as well. They offer up a sweet smelling fragrance yeah. to the Lord. But that was a real eye opener for me that we, you know, God is rightly annoyed with us all the time, and we need to be um, aware of that and and taking refuge in Christ and also obeying. Him. Yeah. Yeah, um, that that was the other picture. This picture of rain. I was thinking about the people of Israel at the time of Ezekiel, not Ezekiel, time of um, Elijah. Elijah. Thank you. And uh, how they were following Baal and other gods, and God was patient with them um, and sent the rain to end the drought and, of course, to put um, the, the rain of than the fire that came up. But it's just, that, it's just a perfect example of God's patience. Patience is also forgiveness too, isn't it? Definitely. So I think of the story of David when he was being chased by Saul. Yep. And he chased him for years and tried to kill him. Yep. And yet when he had an opportunity to take his life, he said, no, it's the, it's the Lord's anointed. And he showed... Incredible patience. Incredible patience. That's a really, really close... Uh, a story that shows closely that sense of patience. See, it's being wronged and still being patient. That's a really good one, yeah. And, and at the same time, you know that one of the soldiers that with him said, hey, come on, yeah, here's your you opportunity. Got, <laughs> your opportunity. <laughs> Look, it's laid out to you on the platter. Take it, you know. Your enemy's there. It's yeah. a good um, yeah. patience. Yeah. Uh, let's look at the next slide. And so... That's the patience of God that we can see. There's also the kindness of God that we can see throughout the Bible. In Isaiah 54, this is what God says, With everlasting kindness I will have compassion on you. So what stories of God's kindness do you see in the earthly life of Jesus? Open for discussion. He's kind to the children. Yes, he was very he kind. He suffered the little children that come up to me because they were nothing. They were probably jumping all over him and yeah. he didn't yeah, mind. And that, that yeah. was such a good um, story yeah. and a good, um, yep. a good a form of kindness of God yep. to just, you know, just accept these little ones. Yeah. Most of the miracles that he did. 
definitely. So I've got the picture of the uh, the, the leper being being healed, or, or the fish being pulled in. God's doing. Jesus is doing something actually in helping someone in that kindness. You know, you guys feed them, you test them, and so you've got compassion. Yep. You know, so they don't, we don't feed them, they're going to they're going to fall over. They're yep. going to collapse on the way because many of them come up very long distance. In the way that he treated people as themselves, so like a tax collector, he a Pharisee like Nicodemus, um, fisherman, etc. He didn't he didn't see people as their categories. He he had no prejudice. His yeah. you know he 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 took the time to know people and to to love them as for who they were. Yep. Yeah. yeah, good old Zacchaeus. Good story. All right, let's move on. So God, God is love. We look at God and we see love in action. We see what real patience, real kindness looks like. And then, of course, that reminds me that we are made in the image of God. Yeah, it's a broken image. We've broken that image, but we are made in His image. And so if we're created in His image, we're created to love. That's our calling in this life and in the one to come. If he loves us and loves others like that, he shows us what this love is. He made, he's made us in his image. He wants us to love like him. If we've been loved by him, we should want to love like him. So we're going to finish just with a, a written reflection. And this is not to be sort of talked about afterwards or handed up. So you can be you can do it all in your head if you want, but you can write it down in a in a um, very honest way. Are you patient? And how can you live out patience better? How can you be more patient? Remember, not just patience uh, in waiting in line type of patience. Patience when people wrong you, or when there's injustice. And are you kind? And again, not just are you nice to people, you say nice things, but do you practically help them? And how can you be kinder? So we'll just finish with a short reflection time, a bit of writing, and then we'll do our next song. So Graham, how is the patience of sorry, to just being having good manners? It's when someone wrongs you getting ready to forgive them. Is that the was that what it was? How yep. Not expecting everything to be made right straight away, waiting for the waiting for the repentance. Yeah. I like what Martin Isle said about being in God's image. He said we are in God's image when we're behaving like Him. That's very good. Yes. I just thought that was so helpful.